0: It's with great urgency that we open the Word of God, because what this reminds us of is the fragileness of life. It's fragile. It's so fragile. And so when we open the Word of God tonight, let me tell you something. We're not opening a book of suggestions. We're not opening a book of dialogue that just is to be taken lightly. We're opening a book that is living and active. And so it's with great urgency. It's with a strong sense of belief that tonight we open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, get there. Uh, it's so great to have you all to here tonight. And if tonight is your first time, I want to say thank you for coming to Matthias' lot. We're in a time of tension in the Scriptures, tension in the Gospels, where people are trying to trap Jesus. He, yes, He is going to die. But now we're seeing the human attempt to try to take the life of Christ. Last week we saw a question that would try to trap him, and this week we see a similar vein, a similar question here in uh, the Gospel of Luke, verse 20, uh, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 27. The scripture says this. Some of the Sadducees, everyone say Sadducees. Yes, name your little girl that. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. This is the very first time in the Gospel of Luke that we see this, a religious group called the Sadducees. So if you're like me, when we study the Word of God, the very first question that should be popping to your mind is, who are the Sadducees? So let's ask her that, uh, answer that question, shall we? First of all, they believe that the Scriptures were the first five books of the Bible. The book, the books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Scripture. So everything else is not the Word of God. So everything is rooted in that books that that, uh, in the books that Moses wrote. They also, as uh, as is written here, they have no belief in the resurrection. In other words, there's no belief of an afterlife. There's no belief that when you die that you'll live again. They don't believe in the spiritual world. They don't believe in angels. Uh, they, They also believe that Moses never wrote about those things. And we're going to see that that there's some tension created there. They were commonly uh, a group that was uh, attacking or or, um, the the poor. They very much adhered to the wealthy. And we see in Acts chapter 4, in fact, that Peter and John, post the resurrection of Christ, are preaching about the resurrection of Christ, and the Sadducees are going against the resurrection, saying, Peter and John, you guys need to shut your yappers because there's no such thing as the resurrection. And so this elevates now a new group. It's like last week we saw certain groups who had questions for Jesus, and now it's like, hey, 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 like it's our turn. It's our turn to throw a jab. It's our turn to come at you, Christ. And so they come at Jesus with a question. Verse 28 says this. Teacher, they said, which is interesting to me. Right? If you only believe that a Genesis, that the first five books, the Pentateuch, are the Scriptures, and they open up, coming at Jesus with a question, trying to trap Him, and they call Him teacher. It's interesting to me that they use that 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 they use that phrasing. I think it's one thing to call someone a teacher and know that there are words of life that are going to come out, and it's another thing to call a teacher for the purpose of education. You see the difference? When we study the Scriptures and open the Word of God, there needs to be this amazing balance between, God, we're calling you teacher as these are the words of life, but not just the words of life that, that they are educating. I think sometimes we land either on one side or the other. You know what I'm saying? For those of you that are intellectuals, you have a bit of a hefty brain, you know what I mean? You, you think well, you're very knowledgeable. Then you're quick to say, Teacher, provide me education. For others of the rest of us that, that call, consider ourselves simpletons, it's easy to say that, Jesus, that, that yours are the words, the practical words of life. But the Scriptures are this perfect balance Of education and life. And when those two things meld together, it means that we as Christians better be educated and better be looking at these words as words of life. Instead, you and I look at doctrine very loosely. Doctrine isn't important oftentimes. Like as long as we feel it, you guys know what I'm saying? As long as we feel the Jesus thing... As long as, we sing, as long as we're singing that song that, that, that tugs at our heart and gives us the chills, like a couple of the songs that we sang here earlier, amazing songs, when it gets to hallelujah, is it the cry of your heart? Or are you just singing it because deep down you, 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 have, uh, you have goosebumps? Like jump, Van Halen, you know what I mean? Like jump, you know? Yeah, it's, if it's just the goosebumps, but there's not the truth seeking, this is hallelujah, then we've missed it. And so friends, tonight, scripture is going to be diving deep into doctrine and theology, believing that Jesus is the teacher of doctrine and right theology, and that He speaks the words of life. May we be a church that doesn't, that doesn't go soft on doctrine. May we not be the church that just comes together and looks for that higher high where we can get ourselves fed. May we be the church that sees the Word and the words of Christ as this perfect balance of good teaching, good doctrine, and the words that breathe into us. So the Sadducees say, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have the children for his brother. Uh, So the first question should be, did Moses write that? Right? It'd be interesting living in that culture, right? Well look at this. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, put up this slide. It says this. Um, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So yes, Moses does write this in the Mosaic Law, that there's this principle that if a man dies and the widow has not given birth to a son, then the brother comes in and marries her. So it's, it's this interesting question that they're going into and they're trying to trap him. And we can understand that if they don't believe in the resurrection, where are they trying to trap him? They're trying to get Jesus to say that he doesn't believe in the resurrection either. So look at this. Verse, uh, verse 29. So they ask him, Uh, They they continue on here, verse 29. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, and don't you guys love that, verse 30? It, It competes with Jesus wept. Isn't that weird? Look at that. Verse 30 is the second. I love that. Brilliant verse. The second, and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Uh, just to help, because when the first time I read this, I was like, it's got to be your bowl? Like, I was confused. So, put the slide up. Put the slide up. This, this is going to help us, uh, the, the marriage slide here. Uh, show us, yeah, okay. Here's, what, here's what's happened, alright? Just for those of you who are, you know, visual learners, you've got seven dudes. They've all died. You've got, a, a you know, a woman who's made it through. And the question is... When the resurrection happens, like who's who's going to be your husband? And they're asking a question to show the preposterous nature of the resurrection. They're asking a ridiculous question to show that at the res, like this is ridiculous. Like surely there can't be a, a resurrection because, like, how who's going to be married? You know, like th- this is uh, this is interesting, isn't it? It's like if we really had to still do this today, this would be an interesting life. Now, verse thirty-four says this, Jesus replied. For some reason, I love that. Because you picture him as the savior of the universe, sitting back, listening to this ridiculous question. And inside, he's almost laughing, right? Like, I think sometimes we don't uh, imagine Jesus as as a Jesus that can laugh and enjoy the humor of the comedy of the ridiculous nature of people who are talking to him, you know? Like, at this point, he's, he's, like, he's like, he doesn't even, you know, after two, he's like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so he's just he's sitting there, and then the scripture says Jesus replied. I know, um, even in a day like today, I was sitting there, and and I think oftentimes we think that um, we get this in our minds that Jesus doesn't reply, that there's no reply. And I just want to encourage you guys with this. Something I've been learning recently is that he's always replying, he's always answering. It's just a question of whether or not we recognize it, whether or not it meets up to our standards of reply. And, and the reply may be silence. The reply may be sit. The reply may be miraculous healing. But he is always replying. Why? Because he says in his scriptures, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open." It's a promise. And he can't go against his promises. And so for those of you guys who are seeking answers and you're just like, man, I got them seeking direction in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so nervous. I don't know what's going to happen. Let me tell you this. It's time to cry out on your knees, ask and it'll be given you, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open and pray that God will reply and that your eyes will be open to hear it. He replies in this moment and he says this. The people of this age marry and they're given in marriage. Keyword, this age. Now, If you've been studying the Gospel of Luke with us, you know what about the Gospel of Luke. Over and over and over, Luke keeps talking about the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. The kingdom now, he says, is but a mustard seed compared to the kingdom that will become and then it will grow into this gigantic tree. And so we're experiencing pieces of the kingdom now but then the kingdom will be fulfilled it's this idea that we are and yet we we're still to come if that makes sense and so in this moment he says in this age people marry and are given up to marriage he's saying we marry right but it's brilliant because he he uses this word this age focusing all of his attention on you and i marry and get married how how many of you guys are married here yeah praise god for that right Marriage is a, marriage is an amazing thing. It's something to celebrate. It's something that helps grow us. It's something that helps humble us. Daily. You know? Forty times daily. But man, what a blessing marriage is. And marriage is used, one of the primary reasons, to procreate to bring other children and other people in this world that we might disciple them and watch their hearts come to know Christ. So this passage, don't get confused for any second, is not saying that marriage is naughty. Verse 35. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given to marriage. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's read that again. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the what? And in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In other words, in this age, people get married and it's great. But in the age to come, there will be no need for marriage. Why? To answer that question, we must answer, what is resurrection Any quick people out here wanna wanna help me out? What's resurrection? Like I know this one. Come on. What's resurrection? For all you dictionary readers and Captain Obvious is out there. What is the resurrection? Anybody? Okay, rebirth. Sure. Any other words? Moment of interaction here. What's the resurrection? Anybody? What's that? Sure, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by literal definition, the Greek word of uh resurrection means to be dead. And to come back to life. The problem in Christian circles is what? We think that the resurrection is only what? The tomb of Jesus. We attribute resurrection because that's the only word we ever talk about, right? Like we're not sitting around in our home saying, So, honey, how was your resurrection today? You know, what I mean we don't we don't talk like that. We don't when we when we talk about the resurrection, we talk about Jesus and the empty tomb. The problem with that thinking is Lazarus was dead and then was raised, hence resurrected. And over and over and over in Scripture, we see this idea of resurrection coming forth. Now, there's some deep doctrinal things here. Uh, first of all, in John chapter 11, Jesus says this. What does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. He is the epitome of what it means and what it is to be Resurrected now verse thirty five again now let's let 's shift this meaning a little bit, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age, and in the resurrection from the dead, going from dead to life, will neither marry nor be given in marriage verse thirty six and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. those who are worthy will all of a sudden be like Angels and they will never die, so in your heart in your mind you 're thinking so when I get to heaven i 'm like an angel wings anyone like is that? no no, no. the scripture says here, like angels it doesn 't say angels, and this starts to get into a lot of a terminology here doesn 't it? because we all have a lot of um, mental ideas about what kind of body we'll have and what takes place when we die, right like in your mind you 're thinking so like yeah yeah like what is uh, put up the First Corinthians passage for me? In First Corinthians chapter 15, it gives us this this great image of what happens when these individuals who are worthy enough die. Verse 41: uh, The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. Uh, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So the image in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which by the way, the entire chapter is about resurrection, is that you and I now have this physical body. Right? Like, look around. Not looking too shabby in here, you know? Like we have this physical body. But Scripture says that the perishable will be sown imperishable. That the natural to spiritual. And so we have this natural body that one day will be completely spiritual. Not an angel, but like an angel. Why? Because angels do not die. They're eternal. They don't Die and so we get this this phenomenal picture of A, there is no marriage and resurrection, and B there is a resurrection. That's Jesus' response. There's no marriage and resu- there's there's no marriage in the resurrection because we don't die, there's no need to procreate, and B, there will be a resurrection, Sadducees. Now, at this moment, there are passages of scripture that must come out for us to understand the meaning. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. I say Romans, and many of your hearts just start beating. You start getting excited. You're like, I love Romans. It's so cordial. Completely wrong usage there, forgive me. Now the end of verse 36, and no need to go back to Luke, says this. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. And so Jesus paints this phenomenal picture that to be a child of God is to be a child of the resurrection. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. My friends, strap on your seatbelt. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin... How can we live in it any longer? Has any of you ever struggled with that verse? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And some of you guys are like, well, this is ridiculous because I still sin. What do you mean I've died to my sin? Like I'm still, like I still struggle. I still wrestle with sin. Thankfully, the scripture continues. Look at this in verse 2. By no means we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Into his death. We were therefore buried with him through a baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. And so, Paul the writer of Romans introduces this idea that for those believers in Him, that there's this concept that we've been baptized with Christ in His death. That we have been submerged with Christ, united with Christ in His death. And it's because we've been united with Christ in His death that somehow, strangely, we live. Now, stay with it here in verse 5. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His what? In His resurrection. So I'm, I'm in my office yesterday morning and I'm reading this verse. And I'm like, I've read this verse over and over and over and over and I've preached it and I've diagrammed it and I've stick figured it and I've put it on my whiteboard and all of that. But never before had I seen the tasty little treat that if we're united with Him in the likeness of His death, then we are united with Him in His what? In His resurrection. Now we're going to get to the point of this here in a second. Hold with me, verse 6. For we know that what? Our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been what? freed from sin if you've died You've been freed from sin. Why because dead men cannot sin Can I get an amen if you're dead? No sin. Okay, you're connecting no synapses, right a dead man cannot sin So on the surface We get this understanding. Okay. Yeah, yeah so a dead man but now he's been talking the entire time about what? If we've died with Him, if we've we've united with Christ in His death, then we will surely unite with Him in His resurrection. Meaning that the dead man in us can no longer sin. Now, let's keep going here. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. And that's the brilliance of Easter Sunday. In one failed swoop, Jesus shows that He conquers the grave, that death does not have mastery over Him. And are you getting the implications that if you are a child of God, a follower of Christ blood-bought by the sacrifice of the Lamb, then you are united with Jesus in the resurrection, in His life. Now, if we go back to our understanding of the resurrection, what's the meaning of the resurrection? The Greek resurrection is what? Going from dead to life. So somehow, way, you and I are experiencing here and now, A glimpse of the resurrection. As believers, we're now dead to our sin. And I think that the scripture is clear about this. It's one thing to live in sin and it's another thing to struggle with sin. And that's the clear distinction between sin no longer has mastery over us. If you're a non-believer, you're living in sin. You're engulfed with sin. You cannot get out of sin. All you're doing is trying to feed your flesh over and over and over. If you have died with Christ, then yes, you may struggle with sin. And yes, we will struggle with sin. But we share in the resurrection of Christ, the new life. He says in one place that the old is gone and the new has come. That for believers, the old life has been crucified on the cross. It's dead. It's gone. And because of that, we unite with Christ in the resurrection. Now, there's several more things to get to here. Hold that thought. Verse 10. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves what? dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from what? From death to life. Are you guys with me? Offer your bodies to God as people who have been brought from death to life. Sin had mastery over my life. Sin was crushing me. I couldn't get any answers. I was completely depraved and lonely. And then all of a sudden, Christ grabbed me, saved me, and now because of what He did, I share with Him in the resurrection. And that's the truth of the Scriptures, my friends, that were missing. We're united with Him in His death. We will also be united with Him in His resurrection. Verse uh, 14 says this, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, next slide. Put up the Roman slide for me. Let's connect all of this. So the first thing we saw in the top left is, if we have been united with Him in His death, the next passage, the answer was, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Now, for those of you who are like, yeah, this is all great, but why this? Why now? Because the Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection. There's something called pharisaical, and no one ever talks about being Sadduceical. I'm pretty sure that I just made that up. You know? Almost 100%. We'll go go with 99. It's one thing to be pharisaical. It's another thing to be Sadduceical. And we're going to get to what that looks like here in a second. So this next verse says this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Because death no longer has mastery over Him, which means that we're called to, in the same way, count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me connect it all for you. If you don't believe in the resurrection, how in the world are you going to believe in Christ? And if we're just attributing the resurrection to the empty tomb, are you with me? We're missing it. Because the resurrection is also what He did in your life. How He nailed your sins to the cross, how He's brought you a new clean, and how He's now called you to be united with Him in the resurrection. Gone from death to life. So my answer for you tonight is, do you believe in the resurrection? Because the easy answer is, well, well, of course I do. Jesus raised from the dead. Of course I believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And, can we all agree? If you don't believe in one of the most blessing, blessings of Jesus, life eternal. If you don't believe in that, how in the world are, going to be, are you going to be united with him in his death? When he says things like, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How in the world are you going to ever follow a Christ who calls you to daily die to your your sins, if you don't even believe in the fact that He's going to give you life and life to the full. Christians in this room, which this is written towards, let me tell you something, it's time that you and I start believing a whole lot more wholeheartedly in the resurrection. Not just in the tomb rolled away, but in the fact that He has changed us. He's reached in our heart, and He's taken our sins, and He nailed them to the cross, and now He says, live with me. And so it's this amazing balance of we've died, but actually, we're just learning to live. And our entire existence is saying, Jesus, show me anew what it means to live. Show me anew what it means to live like I've been resurrected. Now, the Sabbath, what we experience here on on Sundays at Matthias' Lot, the Sabbath is but a picture of the eternal Sabbath. You guys know what I'm talking about? The book of Hebrews talks about the eternal Sabbath. So we're only experiencing a little bit of the Sabbath here and now. It's but a picture, right? In the same way, the resurrection that you and I are experiencing now as believers having been dead to our sin, but now uh, united with Christ his, is only but a glimpse. First Corinthians 15 says that we'll, we'll now take on a spiritual body. And there's a lot of questions that we're not going to answer about heaven, right? So is there going to be golfing there, you know? Like, look. Because that's what we hear, right? You know? So in heaven, is it going to be all Mountain doing pizza? Like, what is that, you know? I mean, it never fails. When you start talking about heaven in youth group, And I was a youth pastor, if you can't tell, for a little while. You know, it it never fails. You start talking about heaven and people raise their hand. So are we going to be able to play monopoly in heaven with Jesus? You know, like, I'm like, what? Look, let me tell you something about heaven. You know, there's a lot of questions we're going to leave unanswered. There's one question we're going to go ahead and answer. Like, who cares about anything besides Christ? And and when, when we get there, we're not going to be like looking around for things to do. You know? Well, pretty boring up here in heaven. Savior of the universe is on his throne over here. No, we're going to be enthralled with the worship of a creator. Which means what? If we're experiencing a glimpse of the resurrection here and now, then shouldn't we be enthralled with the worship of the creator here and now? Because we're counting ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brilliant. Do you guys want a little bit more? Just a little bit more. Okay, look at Romans chapter 7. This gets so much better. Romans chapter 7. Now, do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law. The entire book of Romans, most of it, is this phenomenal picture that, look, the law is done. The law and your attempts to go up to the law and to meet the law, you're now under grace to start living like it. That the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Verse 2. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is then released from the law of marriage. Verse 3. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. We'd all agree with this. Verse uh, continuing on there. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. Now, he paints this phenomenal picture of in a law, the marriage is there until someone dies. Or in this case, the, the marriage by law is broken when there's an adulteress. All the imagery is used to set up verse 4. So, my brothers... You also died to the law through the body of Christ. Count yourselves dead to sin. You died to the law through the body of Christ. Nothing that you do can earn you Jesus. You're dead to the law. The law has no power over you we are now saved by grace through faith and not our ability to follow some list of, ro- of, of, of laws and rules. But look at this. Through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to Him who, what? Raised from the dead in order that we might, what? Bear fruit to God. Let me interpret. The resurrected will show themselves because they will bear Fruits. Because their sins are dead to the cross. They will show themselves resurrected. In other words, I'm dead to my sin, but now I share in a new life through Christ because there will be fruit. Can I ask you again, do you believe in the resurrection? Like, oh, I'm great at, well, coming to church, you know? Man, I'm doing awesome at that. Friends, the fruit of the living Christ is shown in the resurrected. It's shown in the resurrected. The other way of looking at it, he continues. Look at this. Verse 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law. Don't you love that? The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we what? Bore fruit for what? What? Death. You're either bearing fruit for death, showing yourself to be dead in, in and of yourself, or you're bearing fruit for God, showing yourself to be resurrected. Now, if you're Sadducee, you don't believe in the resurrection. And so, can I ask you, how in the world are you ever going to bear any semblance of? Of fruit for Christ. What Jesus was doing with the Sadducees is he was saying, boys, you're in clear doctrinal error. You're in clear. You cannot not believe in the resurrection and believe in me. And at this point, he hasn't died and raised from the dead. At this point, there's been no resurrection of Jesus. So so we're talking about things that that haven't even happened yet. But again, in in, in Acts 4, we see the Sadducees saying the resurrection isn't real. Now, back to Luke. And all this will start to piece together. Verse 37. In Luke chapter 20. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of... Jacob. So what does Jesus do here? What do the Sadducees believe in? They believe what? The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What does Jesus do? He says, hey, you morons. Like, in Exodus, the book that you say you think you know, I'm talking about the resurrected. Why? Look at, look, look, look at the phrasing here. Look at the phrasing. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of of Isaac, not the God of, or the God was. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, he's still their God. In other words, there's been a resurrection for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, Sadducees, in the own books that you say you know, you don't. Because those boys are resurrected. Changed. A new still I'm the God of them. And so if you're a Sadducee at this point, you're like a bummer, you know? Like the very thing that I was attacking you with, you've now turned it on my head. Can I ask you something? We think we know what the resurrection is. It's Jesus opening the tomb and walking out. But friends, have we seen tonight in the scriptures that Do you really know? Do you really believe in the resurrection? Or is it just that you believe that He's alive? Because let me tell you something, through Christ, you are alive. You're changed. Your heart is made new. The old is gone, and the new has come. And that sin that is so easily entangling you by the blood of Christ can be released because you're dead to that sin. Mark, are you saying I'm going to be perfect? No. But I'm saying there's a big difference between living in your sin and struggling with it. And so at the end of all of this, verse verse 38 says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to Him all are alive, and all there are the redeemed. The Christians He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Church, it's time to show it. He's the God of us. The God of the living. The God of those of us who are old selves have been completely repented of and gone of. He's the God of us. And I fear that what America is seeing is a bunch of churchianity of the God of the dead. Oh, that's some type of living movement? It doesn't seem living. It doesn't seem organic. Do you really believe in the resurrection, my friends? Because if you do, then you believe that He is the God of you and of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Paul and of Daniel and of David and of Job. Living, breathing, alive. And He ends with this in verse 39. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. And and like in modern terms, like touche, you know, that was a good one, you know. But again, do they they really? Like, guys, it'll be one thing for us after all this, the whole journey and seeing like Romans and it'll be one thing to say, yeah, like, man, we read a lot of scripture tonight. That was awesome. It's another thing to say I'm a child of the resurrection. I'm a child of God. Living, breathing, tasting, but a glimpse now of what I'll taste in eternity. And I await there a Savior from there who will come again. It's one thing for us to say, yeah, it's been great. It's another thing to walk out of this room saying, I am a, a servant of the living God. Finally, it says, um, these same individuals, uh, no one dared to ask him any more questions, which is probably a great move. You know, people just sit back, they're like, okay, this, this is done. This is over. He's just pretty much put the nail in the coffin. This is, but friends, in two days, this is probably Wednesday, in two days they're going to kill him. It wasn't time yet here. What was the time to do? It was to fix doctrinal error of the Sadducees. Are you Sadducees? We talk all the time about being pharisaical. You hypocrite. You say one thing and you do another. Are we Sadducealical? Not really believers in the resurrection. May we be a church that believes in the resurrection. Because scripture talks about it. Because without it, we're nothing. We're dead men walking around instead of dead our sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Arise, church, and may we bear fruit because of our deep belief in the resurrection. Not just of an empty tomb, but that that empty tomb, that God who raised from the dead, now resides in you. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Him, let me tell you something. He's your only hope to life. You feel dead. You feel gone. You feel lonely. There's no hope in the world. Let me tell you something. There's hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And isn't it brilliant? Two days before his death, what is he talking about? Life. Resurrection. As imminent as death was, he's talking about life. As imminent as you and I's physical death is, may we be a church that talks of the life of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we repent deeply of our tendency to live like our sins haven't been crucified. We repent, O oh God, of the longing still in our heart to try to feed a flesh that's married us with the world. God, will you break us of that marriage? Show us to be married to You as Your bride. God, bear fruit in our lives as children of You, children of the resurrection. Father, reveal to us again that resurrection is from going to dead, to life, like You have done in so many of us here. God, I pray that You will empower us as a church to be strong individuals of doctrine. To truly believe that the scriptures are real, legitimate, and life-breathing. And may you, oh God, send us out of this place tonight saying, I believe more than ever before in the resurrection, in the life that you give, in the unity with Christ that we can have.